It's good to have you here. We are uh, starting a new series called Mission. And um, this next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what is the mission of one church. Like, we need to know why, why we're together, right? Like, uh, so I, I got the opportunity, Jamel and I both did, uh, I got the opportunity one week, and then I was like his, his opening act, and he was the headliner. He came to the camp the second week and spoke at this camp, but the, the fun thing about it is, so I had a bunch of families, he had a bunch of middle schoolers, so pray for him, as he's still recovering, but I had these families, and I'd go speak at these camps, at this camp, and I only knew like two people who were there, and they're asking a lot about our church, and it, it allowed me a bunch of space to reflect. By the, by the second day, this, this camp was like, oh, like, we're going to be really honest this week. And I was like, well, I, I kind of forget that Christians aren't honest. Like, because it's kind of the pocket that we're in. And, like, I kind of assumed that the room was going to be really messy because, let's be honest, we're messy folk in here, right? But the other thing about it is we are like a collection of words and a collection of things are good descriptors of us. But that's a horrible end. Like, to just be honest and messy next to each other leads to nothing. That's nothing really exciting. Like, it, it might give us space that we don't have elsewhere, but we've got to have a mission. We've got to have something that we're aiming at that's distinctive, and, and that's what we're going to explore these next uh, three weeks. It was about two years ago right now that there was a, a group of people who are part of one church who were tasked with the opportunity of just saying, like, what is this new church going to be about? What are our, our values going to be? What's the vision of this church? What's the mission of this church? And we spent about, I think it was like nine months together, uh, all, all the time. We were meeting all the time, talking about things, trying to nail it down. What is it that God is calling us into? And this mission that we're looking at these next three weeks are what came out of that meeting and those meetings. Uh, today, we're going to explore who Jesus is. Because part of our mission as a church, we're not just here to be messy. We're not just here to eat bad donuts when I buy and good donuts when Don buys. But we're here to, to do We're here to together explore who Jesus is. And, and we're going to talk about that for a couple minutes and flush out what that means by looking at the life of John the Baptist in a second. But first, uh, let, let's pray again and, and just thank God for his presence already in the room, okay? Let's do that. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, thank you that many of us came in aware of an emptiness, and many of us are sitting in our seats right now feeling you filling that. And so thank you. And thank you that we don't have to ask you to come, but that you're present. We pray that we would recognize you present, that somehow in this space and time that we would know you better, Jesus, that we would trust you more, Father, and we'd be filled with you more, Spirit. And so thanks for this church that, that I get to be a part of, and thanks for what it is that you're calling us to allow us to not settle for anything less than this mission that you've given us in your name. Amen. Right, we're going to start in Matthew 11, okay? Starting in verse 2. 
And here's what we find. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, Jesus, the Christ, this is important that that's the phrase, he sent out word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them. He's answering these people sent from John because John's in prison. He sends his buddies. He answers them, uh, go and tell John what you hear and see. He not only heard these things, these people got to see these things. The blind received their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I love this passage. It's thick with like a billion things, and we're going to come back to a couple of them. But, but it, it starts with John the Baptist, who is this prophet, who's really speaking against Rome, really speaking against Herod, who has this title of, of King of Kings, which is incredibly offensive to Jewish people who believe that the only king that they're to have really is, is God. And then they settled for some kings along the way, and that you know didn't play out real well. But the, then this guy it, operating in in agreement with Rome is is representing them and representing them poorly. And John the Baptist speaks out about this. He speaks out about a relationship that he has with his sister-in-law, where he marries his sister-in-law, and all this weirdness happens. He finds himself in prison, and in prison. He's in the midst of some circumstances where he's questioning things in his life. Maybe we haven't been to prison. Maybe we have. Maybe we haven't been to prison, but we've probably been in situations where we look out and we're questioning things, right? And from that spot, he says, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Is that who you are? And he can't even go to Jesus and say it. He has to send his people to go say it. And Jesus, I think we need to see this right off the bat. Jesus does not say, like, who are you to question me? He doesn't say that. Now, we see, like, in Job that there are moments when God says, like, hey, why don't you get some perspective? And it's good for us to see that in in Scripture, and it's good for us to see that. But Jesus is, actually, if you read on, he says John the Baptist, he, he was the guy. He was the guy. He affirms what he's asking here. And he gives him this, this sincere answer, go and tell John, this guy that I deeply love, what you heard and what you see. Now, this is not just a random list of things that the lame walk, that lepers are cleansed, that the deaf hear, right? This should probably, for many of us who spend a lot of time in the Gospels, this should be like, I feel like I've heard this stuff before. I feel like the very first time that Jesus ever unrolled the scrolls, he opened up to Isaiah 61 and he said, the day is here where I pronounce good news to the poor, liberty to, to the captives, that, that the blind will see. Like, and he says the year of jubilee, like it's all here. This day is here in my midst. He said it at the beginning of his ministry, just chapters before, and here we get to Matthew 11. And he says, not only am I saying it, but you can see it. And I think this is an invitation for us. That we're invited to not just hear things of Jesus, but to see things of Jesus, that this isn't over yet. Now, something about this is is striking to me. John the Baptist is saying, are you really the Christ? And usually I think we attribute that to somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus. 
right? The only time we let ourselves ask that question is like the first time we came to faith. Are you really the Christ? Yes, you are. Okay, I believe in you. And we assume the only people to question his divinity, to question him as Messiah, question what he's doing, are people who are brand new to Jesus. That's not the case with John the Baptist. Go to Matthew 3. Verse 1 and 2, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then go down a little bit to verse uh, verse 13, I'm sorry. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and do not come to me. But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John consents and baptizes Jesus. Jesus' ministry begins shortly after that. Years before this moment when John is in prison, John knows Jesus. He baptizes him. He sees the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. When I was growing up, I thought it was as a dove, and I thought that was terrifying because it could have came as like a falcon or something scary, but the Spirit descends like a dove. The heavens open, and God speaks loud for all to hear. John was there for all of that. John knew, and it wasn't just at that moment. Go back all the way to the beginning before they're even born. In Luke 1, 39 and 40, we, we read, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in, Judea, in Judah. And it, she entered in the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is John, the backflipping in the womb, John, the cousin of Jesus, John, the saw the spirit descend on Jesus like a dove, John. And he's the one who asked the question in the midst of his circumstances, are you, are you, really, are you really the Christ or should we look for somebody else? Is it really you or should we look for someone else? John had more to explore about who Jesus was and is. You see, the, the, the Christ is the phrase, the Messiah, right? And in, in the cult, like in our world, it means one thing. In the world that John and Jesus lived in, the Messiah, that was a political term. That was a political liberator. The Messiah came to free his people. That's what that was, and honestly, that's what that is. That hasn't changed. It was a political and military leadership term. So with that, are you the Messiah? I am in prison right now. I am oppressed from a foreign government. Are you the one who really liberates? Is that who you are? Are you actually the Messiah, or should I watch for somebody else? I think one of the most healthy things we can do in discipleship is to come to Jesus, not arrogantly, not like sarcastically, none of that kind of attitude stuff, but with open hands and open hearts and say, Pastor Jamel just prayed and said that you are provider. Are you still the provider? Pastor Jamel just prayed and said that you are the healer. Are you still the healer? Is that just something you were or is that something that you are? Like one of the best things we can, this is discipleship. This is not the first moment of conversion. This is how we grow to be filled with the Spirit and live more and more in touch with Him. Are you who you said that you are? That's what we see here in John. 
Are you the Messiah? He had questions of who Jesus was, and then he had questions of what it meant for Jesus to be Jesus. The real, real questions. Like in, in John the Baptist's mind, Jesus being Messiah had to mean that Israel would rise above Rome. And then Jesus died. And people's faith went haywire. And then he, he rose from the dead. And if you look, the disciples say, okay, is this now? Now are we going to do it? Now are we going to rise above Rome? And then Jesus said, well, no, I want you to wait. Sit still and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then that very power that raised Jesus from the dead came to live within them. And the same question would be on their tongue. Okay, now are, can we rise above our enemies? And he changes it all and says, no, you will not rise above your enemies. You will reconcile with your enemies. And this kingdom now had a wide door open to Rome, to Gentiles, to all who call upon the name of Jesus. And everyone had to be like, huh, what does that mean? For you to be actually the Messiah as you define Messiah, not as I define Messiah, but for Jesus to be Messiah as he defines it, that means some ramifications for our lives. And John had to look at that. Now, by the time he, Jesus died, John had already, he had already died. But these questions are, are faced by John, the, the followers after the disciples, the apostles, the early church, continually throughout Scripture, God does not show up how people think he will show up. He's often more generous. He's often more patient. He's often more loving than we expect. We have spite, and we want to, like, hurt those against us. And most often, God is like, no, I will, I will defend the oppressed. I will care for those who are beaten down. But the one who did the beating is my child, too. And so I'll grieve and feel and make room for God to move. I think for us at one church, mission begins with the fact that we will together explore who Jesus is. And that is much more complex than our first glance, right? If you've been around us for the last year and a half, you know, simply by us coming together, it made Jesus more complex. I came with my extremely limited uh, understanding of Jesus, and I sat at a coffee table next to Pastor Jamel and his extremely limited understanding of Jesus, and all of a sudden, I got a much broader understanding of Jesus simply by having coffee together. And coffees and worship and all of that has happened over the last year and a half, and we're all like, okay, maybe there's more to this than I imagined. But exploring who Jesus is, that is for someone who knows nothing. It is and will always be. What it looks like to explore who Jesus is will always at one church mean that someone who has no idea who Jesus is is invited in, and from minute one, we will make it as simple and as plain as we can to understand who Jesus is. We, we don't explore Jesus in lofty ways that are unconnected to life because Jesus didn't do that. He didn't explain himself in unattainable ways ways and words that didn't make sense and outside of circumstance in life. He, he, he was in an agrarian society, and so you look at his parables, and they're almost all agrarian. Why? Because people understood farming. Hey, you're a farmer. Let me explain it in your world. 
That's kind of how he operated all the time. Let me make what is complex simple to those who have ears to hear. And to those who have no interest, it'll be complex and they won't get it. That's just kind of how he worked. And so next to anyone who doesn't know Jesus, we'll explore who he is expectantly. We're never beyond that. We should be praying each week and looking to the doors like, who will God bring in? Who will the Holy Spirit wake up this week? Who will come and worship with us? We should constantly be saying, like, are you someone who, who has already placed their faith in Jesus? We need to be talking about that, praying for those things to happen, and never forget the joy of somebody coming to faith in Jesus. Like, we should, there's no, there's no moving past that. There's no graduating past that. There's no, like, 2.0 level that we go to that, like, oh, other people can do. No, like, that is why we're here, to help someone who knows nothing come to the knowledge of Jesus where they can place their faith in him and be led by him. But that's not all that it is. We're here for people who have just caricatures of Jesus as well. So when I came to faith, the idea of Jesus was like slightly better than the life that I had, honestly. It looked like a slight upgrade. Like, oh, oh that, that'd be a, a little better of a path than the one I'm on. And, and mostly what Jesus was explained as was for all these questions about after you die, he answered those questions. And my grandfather had just died, so I was like, well, I want those answered. And so I, I placed my life in, in Jesus and I placed my faith in him. But what I knew of him was really like I thought this life was just this life and he took care of like after death stuff. And I had horrible caricatures, and part of it was because, like, we were okay with our life. Honestly, I knew nothing of suffering. I knew nothing of pain. I knew nothing about things not even working out. I just thought, like, oh, this is everybody's life. This is what it's like. And then over the years, I've got tiny little tastes of suffering and pain. I, I'm not asking for more, but tiny little tastes of it. And every time I get a taste of it, I'm like, oh, that, that's, that's where Jesus is. And all of a sudden I find myself desiring a fuller Jesus. I would have believed that he was healer before, but it didn't really matter because I had doctors. I, I, would, I, I remember being first married and being like, well, I, I work hard, so I'm provider, and I've got my dad in case something doesn't work out. So, like, God being provider, ah, not even really interested. God, be my, like, eternity. That'd be awesome. Like, take care of that one for me. But I've got my dad. I've got a line of credit. I've got tons of stuff for providing. I've got tons of stuff for healing. I've, I, like... The idea of he be, him being our defender, I didn't think I'd ever done anything wrong. Why do I need you to defend me? I'm good. I had no clue, like him being our peace. I had no clue that peace was a collective thing. I had no clue that peace was this idea that if someone in the community is not experiencing peace, then I don't have peace. I didn't know that. So I was like, no, I can turn on the TV at 6 o'clock if I want. I've got peace, and I've got 15 ways to medicate my way to peace. 
And I had this horrible caricature of who Jesus was. And here's the thing. He was patient with me with that horrible picture. I had this distorted, goofy thing like you get done at a fair or the mall where your nose is big and your ears are big. I had this Swedish-looking Jesus that I was following. And it all worked. And I was like, okay. And I, he saw my faith there. And it, it's not like he was like, stupid, Matt. Like, none of that. But he loved me too much to leave me there. He loved me too much to be like, yeah, that silly little picture of me, we're good. And so over time, he's brought me to these same questions over and over again. Who is Jesus really? And what does that actually mean? Who is Jesus really? What does that actually mean? I think in 10 years, I'm going to have two questions about that. And it'll be who is Jesus really? And what does that actually mean? That's not something I ever graduate past. That's I pray that is not something I ever say I have the answer to either. Until I get to see him face to face, that's my route of discovery. And simply by being a believer in him, that, that means that is our, because it's all like collective here as soon as we come to faith anyway. And so if you're like me and you've had characters of Jesus, then we open Bible together. And we learn what he's really like. We ask the Holy Spirit to work within us to reveal more, to become more real. That's, that's, that's what we do. And, and for the, those smart folks in the room, you're, you're people who know some about Jesus. In the rest of your life, you'll unpack these two questions. And, and if, if you don't, I pray that this church community, like, prods you to it. If we think that we've kind of arrived and we've got it, I, I pray that somebody kind of swiftly kicks you. Because we need to know who Jesus is and we need to know why that matters and what changes because of our understanding of who Jesus is. I, I want to read you some verses that have had me struck uh, this last couple weeks. It's not even going to be on the screen because he, I, I, got, I always have hang-ups. Here's my new hang-up. When, when, when the scriptures were given, it was like a letter, right? Like We're looking at Colossians here. It was a letter. Not everybody knew how to read. So we'd get in rooms like this and read the entire letter. We didn't read like a verse and say, like, didn't that fit my point? Like, we read the whole thing. And I'm not going to read the whole letter to you because we're, we're I don't know that we have endurance yet. But um, maybe one day I will. I'm just going to read you five verses. But sometimes I think having it on the screens and all these ways, like we end up like trying to fact check everything. Like this is what it says in the ESV anyway. It's not how Jesus originally spoke. It's not how Paul originally wrote. But in the translation of the ESV, here's what it says about this Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's this Jesus, that as long as one church exists, we will be on mission to explore who he is, the fullness of who he is. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out how he is creation and the end. I don't even get it. How he is holding everything up and he's within everything. How he rises up prophets to speak against authorities and he's the one who sets authorities. Like, go figure that one out, right? This is the questions that we'll be asking. This is where we will explore because this is who Jesus really is and what ramifications come of that. I hope that's exciting to you because I'm like, that. that's like, that's a community I want to be in. I don't want to act like I'm smart. I don't want to act like I know. And I don't want to settle for this limited knowledge. Pretty much all I know is that God is good. And I, like we sang about a few minutes ago, I, I'm really nothing without Jesus. And I just want to know more what that means. And so this church will continue to live into this mission as we explore who Jesus is. Not really just knowing facts like, like, uh, like how tall he is. Like, interesting, sure, but it doesn't matter. Like, we're more into, like, who, what does it mean for the Messiah to be the Messiah? And what does it mean for him to be a patient Messiah? That doesn't make sense to me, so help me begin to comprehend. This powerful and profound Jesus continues... And here's something that we find in the gospel. He continues to invite all of us to come. Come to him. And as his people, we do the same. We're charged with doing the same. To invite people to come to us, to come to him. We're given a really clear ministry, this ministry of reconciliation, where we invite people to go see who they are in Jesus. And we invite people next to us to be like, hey, let's, let's be one and let's be one in Christ and let's be on this journey until we see Jesus face to face. And I pray that in deeper ways this next year, we get, gain an understanding of who Jesus is. We gain a perspective and understanding of what that means in our real life circumstances. And we see his kingdom come in profound and powerful ways. And so we're going to celebrate that right now. And we're going to celebrate it by the way that he told us to celebrate. He had his disciples together and he said, hey, when, when you gather, and it was more of a meal and we, we, we do like tiny little bites, uh, but, but it was this meal and he said, he broke the bread and he said, hey, this, this bread, when you, when you eat a meal, remember this bread is my body, which is about to be broken for you. And he raised this cup that was filled with rich meaning for all the Jewish lives and the Jewish history. And in the midst of celebrating their history, he, he brought about a, 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 new, a new gift and a new freedom and a new deliverance. And, and he raised this cup and he said, every time you drink of this, remember that this is my blood which is shed for you. And sometimes we do this real somber. And I think that first one was really kind of confusing. 
but I don't think it's meant to be this like super sad. I think it's reflective, but I think this is a celebration that everything that divides us, everything that's torn us apart, everything that's small, everything that's old, like it's gone away. And Jesus is exactly who he said he is, and he invites us to be who he said that we are at the table. And so as we celebrate this, uh, I want to invite you to, to meet one another, collide at the table. Don't take little bird pieces. There's enough of Jesus for everybody. And let's, let's feast on who he is, okay? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for what you've already shown us. You're, you're more than we ever ask. You're more than we ever imagined. And thanks for being patient with the ways we misunderstand you. But I pray in deep ways in this season, in this fall of this year, that you would teach us who you are. And that you would train our thoughts and our actions and our emotions to follow who you are. And that we would be changed in our understanding of what that means in our circumstances, in our situations. You begin to teach us how to pray. And how that's changed by, by you being who you are. But you would teach us to have courage to not isolate ourselves and not see ourselves as just sole individuals. But that you've called us to be one and a collective and that we can we can ache for one another and rejoice with one another and that there's enough of you to go around. Thanks that you're not done with us yet. And thanks for inviting us to the table.